Episode 271 of Living Off the Land. We are back. Steve is back from another hemisphere. I am back from not wanting to do the show by myself. So we've been off for a couple weeks, but we are back. We are going to get into everything <clears throat> Cleveland Browns tonight uh, and all of that. Tito Francona is ending his tenure as Guardians manager. Uh, the Cavs are going to be opening camp very soon, which feels like it's creeping up on us. Uh, but this is mainly going to be a Brown show today, obviously. But first, uh, jet setting halfway across the world. Steve, you are back, and it's Tuesday night. Tuesday night, ladies and gentlemen, and I am back after a 25-hour ordeal to get back to Cleveland um, on Sunday, but uh, not as bad as it sounded, you know, not even for the baby. She, you know, slept for a while of the voyage, so it wasn't as bad as you might think, but uh, yeah, so the gist of it was is that I spent most of the last two weeks in Cameroon, and it's... The easiest way to get there, basically, is one-hour flight to the East Coast, seven-ish hour flight to somewhere in Europe, either Paris or, <coughs> or Brussels, which is where we did the change, and then uh, about a six-hour flight from there to to uh, West Central Africa. And uh, it's quite the trip. Um, you know, it, it's funny because from, from a sports perspective, it's interesting because, like, if, you, if you're into soccer, football, you're like in you're in seventh heaven there because they've got like five different s- sports channels on the Canal Plus, which is basically their version of DirecTV. So like on a Saturday or a Sunday, it's like you get matches from all five of the main leagues, you know, just on each of the channels, and they have the the nightly wrap up shows every night. And then it's like you got the Champions League on in the middle of the week, and it's like they've got the the wraparound feed and everything. So whenever something happens in one of the games, it's it's like you get it immediately. But like the NFL, for example, it doesn't exist over there. You huh. just did. I looked on every piece of media possible. There's just nothing. So they don't play the sport there. That nobody cares. Same thing with baseball. You can't find that anywhere. Uh, so being over there in September was a little odd in terms of that. But uh, do you have internet? Uh, it sometimes yes. The connection was not all that great. Yeah. In, in most cases, the Wi-Fi connections, but uh, yeah, I spent two weeks on airplane mode, effectively. Oh, uh, really? Yeah, because the two main phone uh, phone companies over there are MTN and Orange. Uh, Orange, I remember because I actually had their service when I was studying abroad in Spain 15 years ago. But um, yeah, so basically, if you don't have one of those, it just it makes no sense. Now, AT and T actually has a I don't know. They have some sort of code-sharing agreement with Orange. So, like, if you have AT&T, you can, like, get Orange for cheap for the time that you're over there. Well, relatively speaking, it's like 10 bucks a day. That's still too too much for me. But uh, Yeah, that's a lot. That's 300 bucks a month. Yeah. If you were over there for an extended period, that would just be ridiculous. Good but, Lord. Uh, yeah, it's um, – it was very fascinating. Um, and, honestly, we should probably invite my wife on 
uh, one of these weeks to really get the whole spiel on it. But, uh, you know, the, I met our family for the first time. Uh, imagine being married to somebody and never even meeting your in-laws for like five years. Yeah, that's person. pretty wild. It's just, yeah, I mean, it, it's not something anybody should ever do, but no. uh, it well, COVID, COVID had a lot to, to, to do with that. Yes, because we were. I was supposed to go there in 2021, and they yeah. were just they, their borders were shut. They just were not letting yeah. anybody in besides citizens, which is why she was able to go back in 2021, but I was not. Yeah. Uh, but, but be that as it may, uh, we stayed in the Vaughn neighborhood of Yaoundé, which was on the near south side of town. Uh, it was a major, it's a major um, commercial and transport hub, actually, because the main um, city bus station was there. And if you, like, they don't have trains that go, you know, far distances like you have in Europe, but, like, their their buses are actually pretty good. You actually could go to pretty much any city in the country. Is this uh, better known neighborhood, cheap. by the way? Are you doing? I mean, uh, I mean, we can kind of transition into that. Um, Yaoundé is the capital of Cameroon. It's my wife's hometown. It is also the hometown of Joel Embiid of the Philadelphia 76ers. Ah, process. So, uh, who at this point? I mean, if you were to, I'll go into that a little bit more in detail in a bit. But uh, Yaoundé has a population of almost three million people. It is. If you were to compare Yaoundé and Cleveland, the metro areas are pretty similar in in terms of people, but theirs is much more dense. You have a lot more dense housing, uh, not a lot of single-family homes unless if you're on the outskirts of the city. And even downtown, it's a lot – not even a lot of high-rise buildings, but they're maybe five, six, seven-story, but it's pretty much that through – um, a majority of you know really about three four miles out and anywhere outside of the city uh the transportation infrastructure is okay it's not great i mean it's there are some roads that are really terrible like what you might see on the east side of cleveland in terms of potholes but uh you know the majority of it is is okay where they kind of suffer is going in between cities and into the rural areas it's mostly just two lane roads they don't have highways mm. or anything like that there's a couple there well, I shouldn't say that there's a couple of isolated areas where like a few of the foreign powers particularly China are you know collaborating with Cameroon to try to build more modern highways uh China has their belt and road initiative that you know that that they work on with other countries but uh it's still very rudimentary for the most part I mean the main road between uh, highway N3 which is the the road that goes between Yaoundé and Douala which is the other major city in Cameroon it's just a two-lane road all the way. So basically, if you get stuck behind a couple of semi-trucks, you're screwed. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Oh. So it'd be pretty annoying, that. But um, I'll just uh, kind of paraphrase. Cause I actually put this on my Instagram page yesterday. Um, Yaoundé was actually founded by the Germans back in the 1870s. And then after World War One, when Germany lost World War One, they lost all of their colonies, and the French took over Cameroon. So... They they declared Yaoundé the capital in 1922, and it remained the capital um, after independence in 1960. From there, the and again I mentioned Douala. Douala is the other major city. That's where that's more toward the Atlantic coast, and that's where the uh, it's the main economic center. The way to think of it is Douala is more like the New York City of Cameroon, mm -hmm. whereas uh, Yaoundé is more like the Washington D.C. Mm. Um, from that matter, because Government and civil service obviously is very big in terms of economy. Uh, manufactured goods like beer, glass, woodworking. There's actually a major um, 
major brewery that was less than half a mile from where we stayed. Uh, you drove oh, past yeah. it. You could you could smell the corn and the barley hmm. uh, from the outside. Um, distribution uh, is big. Woodworking is big, um, particularly in the southern half of the country where it's mostly either forest or rainforest. As you get further north in the country, it, it becomes more grassland and then becomes more like savanna and dry scrubland when you get to the very far north as you get closer to the Sahara Desert. Um and then agriculture obviously is very big too. Their main agricultural products are uh, cocoa, plantains, sugarcane, tobacco, and uh, dairy products and cattle ranching, which is actually much bigger, again, in the northern half of the country. Uh, interesting to note that nearly 75% of the world's chocolate is created from cocoa, which is produced in West and Central Africa. Wow. This is like, the yeah, like... You go, you start over from like Ivory Coast, and you go over through like Ghana, Benin, Togo, uh, Nigeria, and Cameroon. That is your major chocolate belt, hmm. basically. And every single one of those countries is producing like crazy, uh, to the point where if if for some reason that whole industry just kind of died, like you we wouldn't be getting Kit Kats or M and M's here, yeah. probably. I mean, we'd be getting them, but the they'd be like, you know, the, the big size bag of M&M's is like 12 bucks. It, it'd, be, like 30. It, it'd be, yeah, you'd go up to like 40 bucks or something <laughs> like that. Wow. So, you know, that's, that's, that's some of the major stuff that they do there. And while we were there, Aren's younger sister, Emily actually got married. Oh, wow. And okay. that was on the middle, the middle weekend of the trip. And it was actually very fascinating because her family made all of the food. For wow. 370 people. Oh, my God. Yeah, literally. So they had her parents' house, which was in BMSC neighborhood, which is on the near southwest side. They had um, her sister Grass's house, which was right across from where we were staying in Vaughn, and they had ours. So we had all of our, our inside stoves, but this was a much bigger operation than that. So literally they took this whole outside area around – Grass's residence, and they were literally cooking the food outside on wood and and fire, just like we were like camping. Wow, practically, and it was literally just like here's the chicken, here's the fish, here's the you know if you probably won't recognize these foods, but um, ndole and eru, which are basically like um, um, spinach and kale, kind of like, and then they like put it in palm oil and a few other uh, things. That's um, so that's your vegetable dish, and then like for your starches, you have either rice, potatoes, or yucca root, which is uh, kind of like potato, but almost more chalk-like in mm. how it tastes. Uh, it's one of the driest foods I've ever had. I don't ever try. An interesting challenge would be try to eat yucca root without having any beverage at all. It's uh, jeez, you know that that might be worth a laugh. But, huh. uh, but yeah, so they had all of this, and they they made all this food, and. Uh, Honest to God, thank goodness we didn't get involved in that because, like, I I took video of them doing this just because I work in supply chain, so I just wanted to kind of document everything yeah. how they were doing it. I'm probably gonna put Paying that attention on my, to the process. I'm gonna put that on my Instagram page. on probably in the next day or two, but uh, that must have been a Herculean operation. But uh, yeah, interestingly enough, their schedule when it comes to like events and like going out clubbing and stuff like that is very similar to Southern Europe. Like, when I was in Spain, people wouldn't eat dinner until, like, 9.30 or 10 o'clock, and then they wouldn't even go out until probably 11 or 12. Uh, 
whereas here it's on a much earlier schedule. And Aren had told me previously when when we would go to weddings, he's like, "What is wrong with your weddings here? They end at midnight. Like, mm. what in the world? We're like partying and dancing like all the way till the next morning there. And now I know why, because here, weddings and formal events usually start around eh, five thirty, six o'clock, yeah, maybe seven at the latest." Yep. They don't even start until like ten or ten thirty there. Oh, yeah. So naturally, if you just on the same timetable, it would be like four thirty or five o'clock. Yeah, in the morning before it'd be over. So, yeah. That, but I'll tell you what, it's it's a really fun time. You know, I I really enjoy just about every part of it. Like the whole, they actually when you give gifts at weddings there. Literally, it's like what we do here. You kind of just like put them off to the side on a table or whatever. No, they make a whole production of it. Like they literally line up and they like carry the stuff down, like almost in a parade like kind of sequence. And it's not just the small things either. No, they're like bringing in like the big kitchen appliances and and stuff. Like even like a gas stove. Like they brought in like six people to be carrying in this gas oh stove. Oh my right gosh! Stage. Oh, so I I was laughing, but it was so good yeah. just to see that. And then you know people were just having a good time and dancing and doing all these. You know, so it was that was really a fun time. I mean, we didn't. Uh, and then a few days later, we went. We actually uh, went to the beach town a little bit south of Douala called Kribi, which to actually see a beach community that is not commercialized even in the slightest is almost like it does not compute because in the U.S. you almost can't find that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it was just another you know, city probably... Kribi's only about 50,000 people. It's barely bigger than Strongsville. It's only about actually... It's identical in population to either Euclid or Illyria. Yeah. And in terms of land area, it's probably about the same. Mm-hmm. And so Euclid's actually a pretty good comparison to Kribi because you actually have a lot of um, industry there. In fact, you could even see the oil platforms from the beach, which is something you won't see here because people will be outraged. But, uh, yeah. I mean, yeah, they, they literally are just taking oil from the sea, you know, only a couple of miles offshore. I hope to god they never have a spill one day but uh yeah right the, the beaches are actually quite nice uh they're un- largely unspoiled you don't have uh, again a whole lot of development i mean now it's starting to happen a little bit you have a little bit of foreign investment now with like the you know the larger buildings but it's not much still yeah. and uh it, it's pretty neat to see you know but anyway. what was the what was the weather like when you were there so this is interesting. You were at about four or five degrees north latitude, you know, very close to the equator. I thought it would be scorching hot. And when we went to the beach, it was. It was sunny. It was very, very hot. And it was such that you would get sunburned in probably less than 30 minutes or at least less than an hour if you didn't have sunscreen on. But um, Yaoundé is interesting because it sits on a bit of a plateau, about 2,500 or 3,000 feet above sea level, and it's very cloudy. It's, hmm. you know, it's almost cloudier than Cleveland, honestly. You know, you did, we, the whole time we were there, we maybe only had two sunny days. The rest of them were cloudy or rainy. Oh, wow. And September is, is the wet season there. It's almost like you have a bimodal wet season where it's like um, 
April through June, it's very wet. Then there's a bit of a dry spell in July and August. And then once you get to September, October again, it gets very wet again. So, yeah, it was it was kind of like 80, 85 degrees for a high every day. It was humid, um, but not anything unlike what you would have here. Um, the only annoying part is that once you get to the to the afternoon or the evening, it would inevitably rain. So you'd have to just kind of plan around that. Yeah. But uh, yeah, the first three days of the week of the trip, we were getting lucky because it wasn't raining. But after that, it came pretty consistently. And the last few days of the trip, it rained a lot. Yeah. So, um, you know. What was the uh, um? I asked this. Because I'm curious, and also because I know you are one of the pickiest eaters I've ever met in my life. Uh, what was the food situation there? Obviously, you talked about the wedding, but like, yeah, was it a lot like that? Like throughout your whole trip, do they have like, mm. like, is there like? Now, obviously, like, like it would probably be different, but is there like McDonald's there, or is there anything like that? There's really not. Like in terms of now, they have restaurants. Mm-hmm. And you, where you can sit down and eat, and you know, usually the prices are per, they're actually pretty affordable. Uh, supermarket prices are actually a little higher than you would expect, uh, but but that's counterbalanced by the fact that they have these large open air markets where people mm-hmm. just you know all these street vendors basically just you know they have they just bring food items in from any maybe they own the farms or they have relationships with the farmers outside of town and they just you know you can find any sort of fruit or vegetable imaginable you know bananas plantains uh mandarins uh peppers what have you and you just you can buy three of them or five of them or however many and they're they're like basically five or ten cents each it's it's you know pretty pretty easy um but in terms of the you know the starch items, the bread. Bread is extremely, extremely cheap. Uh, a, a standard loaf of bread might only cost you like again five or ten cents. Wow. So, and then rice is very cheap. So are beans. So are so is yucca root. So like those starch items and the fruit items are very and the veggies, generally are very cheap because they're all grown locally mm-hmm. and you can just get them. It's the imported goods that come from Europe and elsewhere that are very expensive, because like my typical breakfast would be like bread or muffin or maybe cereal and then i'd have like either a banana or a mandarin or something like all of that would have been cheap except for the orange juice i drink that was like six bucks for a carton Hmm. so which is like more than it is here yeah so you just have to keep that in mind but yeah the food was not hard to to eat for the most part i mean i don't care for eru and dole you know some of the more traditional foods you know, bobolo, which is basically almost like this fermented rubber-like thing that's made from fermented yucca root. Like, Aren was eating that actually earlier tonight at dinner, and I was just like, she's like, you want some bobolo tonight? I'm like, no. <laughs> <laughs> but I did my best. But where I really struggled was beverages. Okay. And I struggle with beverages whenever I go to Europe or Africa or wherever else because – the the sad part about this is that their fruit juices they got pineapple juice, uh, papaya juice, watermelon juice, and they are excellent, but they're expensive. Mm-hmm. So most people there don't drink them. They drink this like fruit drink that's carbonated. Oh stuff, God, that's what I was and, waiting for. And like. 
there's this one that I came across like halfway in the trip. It was called Orangina. I'm like, oh, yeah, it's like an orange juice drink. No, it's carbonated. I'm just like, oh, why would you make carbonated orange juice? What? Are you, what? You know, so basically I drank water for two weeks. <laughs> Except well, for go. the few occasions where I could get fruit juice. Well, there you go. <laughs> yeah, that was that was that was the worst. That was, might have been the suckiest part of the trip, actually. Yeah. Just because, you know me, I I don't drink soda. I don't drink much alcohol either. So it's just yeah. it was the same thing when I went to France. It was the same thing in Spain. It's like, <sighs> yeah. So it was a good trip. Yeah, it was mostly all good. Um, Scarlett had fun. Scarlett had a lot of fun because there were f- six other kids under the age of five. Oh, okay. And on that side of the family, Grass has two. Emily has two. Rosine has one. She actually just gave birth uh, earlier this month, so she had a newborn while we were there as well. And it, it was so cool because, like, when I went to hold the hold her baby, like Scarlett came up to me and she was like, you know getting happy feet with two two arms in the air. She which wanted to hold her? She wanted to hold the baby. Uh. I was just like, no, you're probably going to drop her, probably going to throw her, like, yeah. do your toys. So I'm like, nah, I don't think so. You'd... But yeah. it's cool that she's, like, wanting to actually, because, like, it's been within the last three or four months that she's got the stuffed animals, and she's, like, you're really, like, playing with them, like, pretending to feed them and stuff. Yeah. You know, like we do to her and and – She's she's starting to get that nurturing gene, so like I don't know, maybe next year or two years from now, if we go back, you know, she will get to hold the baby. Yeah. So, but yeah, she had a lot of fun playing with with the uh, with the other kids, and it's just a shame that on our side of the family, we just we have a few out in Philadelphia, but they're seven hours away. You know, here she's got no one. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah, that's um, that's kind of unfortunate for her. Now my brother's getting married in January, maybe that'll result in something eventually, but uh, my cousins are not married, so, like, yeah. you know. And who, know where, and who knows where Matthew's going to be living? Yeah, who knows about that? I mean, he could be in California, he could be here, he could be in some foreign country. He's currently in Chile, <laughs> as it turns out. Chile. Oh, uh, the Matthew escapades. Yeah. Matthew he, and Veronica escapades. He was, he was in Brazil and Argentina for most of the time that i was in cameroon Hmm. so now he's in chile so he's yeah they're at the the very tail end of their worldwide voyage which started way back in january back in new zealand and australia yeah and they went to they spent some time in asia they spent some time in europe they spent time in africa when they went to africa they went to south africa and zimbabwe and zambia and Tanzania and not anywhere near cameroon it was mostly they go south africa southern yeah they started in south africa and went all the way up to Kenya. So, like, South and East Africa is pretty much where they stayed. And now they're in South America. So, yeah, they're... I consider myself fortunate for having gone on this trip, but, my goodness, if I could do what they did, oh. Yeah. Good golly. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. Yeah. Um, well, good. Anything else that uh, you want to talk about on the trip or uh, that we didn't cover? Well, I can tell you that, you know... We, there's not a lot of touristy stuff to do there, although the, the Bastos neighborhood, which is on the north side, that's where the presidential palace is, and that's where all the embassies are. That's where your, like, super bougie, well-to-do population is. A lot of it is foreign-based, yeah. I figure. And I actually got in trouble outside the U.S. Embassy because Uh-oh. apparently you, you're you not supposed to take pictures of the U.S. Embassy. Uh-oh. And I did. 
Whoops. Without even realizing it before I got up there. And they caught and somebody yeah. saw you? Yeah, I got detained for like 20 minutes. Wait, what? Yeah. Yeah, they- uh, Were you they in came cuffs? Out, they came out, no, they didn't, they didn't cuff me. But oh. Like, but like the, the Cameroonian guards that were outside and then like one of the American guys from beyond the, the fence was like, you know, giving me the stern face look and like, you know, what are you doing here? And I'm just like, but- uh, yeah, I, I wanted to say back. Yeah, you didn't. You didn't let my uh, my wife's sisters or uh, or her parents in the country for our wedding or for any of our things. So uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But uh, no, it was it was weird because like the two Cameroonian guards told me that they they didn't allow this. It was a U.S. mandate, and that none of the sites in the U.S. If you were to go to Washington, you can't take pictures of that either. And I said, I've been to Washington twice. Yeah, I was gonna I've say that's pic- not true. I've taken pictures of, of even the Capitol and the White House. Yeah, that's not, not true. true. Yeah. <laughs> so something weird's going on. Either they were gaslighting me, or they were getting false information from the people inside the embassy. And the reputation of our embassy staff in Yaoundé is that they are just na- just nasty people, hmm. and that they don't like to help anyone. And I don't know why that is. I don't know why they have that reputation, but this little incident didn't really do anything to make me think otherwise. Yeah. Um, it almost casts our country in sort of a sort of a negative light to the native population there, which is kind of unfortunate. But uh, be as it may, that was <laughs> that was kind of interesting. But the I guess the good news is that it was our embassy, and it was not like the Chinese or the Russian embassy or something yeah, like that. It might still be over there. Fun fact, though, the Italian embassy is right across the street from the U.S. embassy. Aha. That's right. Yeah. It's a nice, cozy little Italian villa-like building Yeah, with the uh, the quintessential, um, I forget the roofs, what, what you call it, but it's got like the, the ceramic red oh. roof and everything. So, yeah. yeah. I thought that, w- that was actually one of the better-looking buildings over there, hmm. to be honest. Interesting. So. Yeah, that just about does it. Um, that's Cameroon. That's Yaoundé. That's what I've been uh, up to for the last uh, two weeks or so. And yep. uh, But now we are back. Well, I will mention um, right before we get out of this, the third night I was there, Cameroon actually had a very um, – the Cameroon national team actually had a very important match um, they, that they needed to win just to advance to the Africa Cup of Nations, which is their continental championship. And I actually got to watch this game with – Eren's dad and her brother, who is like a major athlete uh, in terms of like he's like great at basketball, great at soccer too, and uh, getting to see their team play in their country. Unfortunately, they played the game in Garwa, which is in North Cameroon. They didn't play the game in Yaoundé. I would have actually gotten to go to it if it had been. I think the reason they played it up in the north was because again it's the rainy season right now. They were thinking there was a high possibility of it raining. Uh, for that particular fixture, and because the team they were playing, Burundi, mm-hmm. is not a team that's as good as them, the last thing they wanted was like a waterlogged pitch or something that was going to like screw up the game for them. So that's why they wanted to play it up in up in the north. But uh, Cameroon won that match three to nothing, and it was uh, I can't tell you how many sporting events I've seen with my dad. Now I've actually gotten to see one firsthand with uh, with my uh, my other dad. Nice. Overseas. So that was cool. Nice. Cool. Well, sounds like a great trip. 
I uh, appreciate you uh, letting us know how everything went. Yeah, I was curious mostly. <laughs> knowing you as long as I have, I was curious about the food and the drink and <laughs> how you navigated that. Yeah, the food was about a B or a B plus, I would say. The drink was about a D minus. <laughs> <laughs> if it wasn't for how good the fruit juices were when I got to have them, it would be an F. That's, yeah, and that's just personal opinion. That's not that those. That's not that the carbonated drinks are actually bad. It's just Steve doesn't drink them. Oh no, I'm, I'm sure that uh, <laughs> if you're used to drinking soda over here, I'm sure you would have actually uh, liked Orangina. That their main brand is is called Top, which is like. Uh, I don't even know how to describe it. It's kind of like um, probably closest to like Mountain Dew or Sprite, if I had to guess. Yeah. But uh, anyhow. Yeah. Okay. So you said that you've basically been on airplane mode for over two weeks. I was on airplane mode consistently from the 9th all the way through the 23rd. (laughs) So you have, (laughs) except for... Uh, when you go through our text thread with our brothers, you really don't have much knowledge of what's been going on with the Browns. I was able to get decent connection for the opening game. Okay. And was able to follow along a little bit. Um, once the Browns got up, you know, big by late in the third quarter, I was like, oh, this is cool. Uh, but, you know, the, the, with the time shift, week two was going to be a loser regardless because that um, – the Monday night game didn't even tip, didn't even kick off until one fifteen a.m. Tuesday morning. So, yeah, I was not going to stay up for that. Well, here's um, how here's how that game went. I can I can summarize it in 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 two things. Mm-hmm. The game started with a Pittsburgh defensive touchdown, and it ended with a Pittsburgh defensive touchdown. Yeah, the Browns defense has only given up one offensive the touchdown all year. The first play of the game. I didn't get to do a po- I, well. I didn't do a post game show the last two weeks, so I haven't made my feelings uh, heard about this. <laughs> the first play of the game was a pick six. Hmm. Because Kevin Stefanski called a pass play to Harrison Bryant, and the ball went right through his hands. Yeah, figures. <sighs> Guys had bad hands for the whole his whole career. <sighs> And now all of a sudden he's basically our uh, our quarterback on uh, on QB sneaks. Go figure that one out. Hmm. Um, Deshaun Watson can't do QB sneaks. Apparently, apparently. not, or he doesn't want to. The the one, of him getting hurt or what? Well, the one he did against the Steelers, he ended up fumbling. He got the first down, but then the Steelers challenged because like, wait a minute, he fumbled that ball, and it got overturned, and the Steelers got the ball. We turned the ball over four times against the Steelers. The only reason why we didn't beat them by 30 is because they scored two touchdowns on defense, and we turned the ball over four times. Well, that'll that'll do it. I mean, Jeez. You, that can't, was, can't be that sloppy and win in the NFL. Of all of the crappy losses we have had to endure over the last 25 years, I don't know that I've ever been as pissed off as I was during that game. Thank God I was watching that game by myself. Because hmm. some of the some of the things I was saying, some of the things I was doing would make people just absolutely like question my sanity. I was nuts. You remember the, the the Pittsburgh playoff game that we watched in the other room? Yeah. It was the literal antithesis of that. Think- same building, same team. Sounds like the Steelers are who we thought they were. It seems like 
they're they're just that's how they get by. They you know they oh yeah that's another up. thing. That's another thing. They literally have the worst quarterback in football, and we lost to them. It's kind of hard to figure, but they just you know they it's don't that, die. It's you that, know? that building is a Bermuda <laughs> Triangle. They don't lose at home on Monday night. Outside of the playoff game when nobody was there, we haven't won there since 2002. Yeah. It's just, I mean, it's to the point now where until until we actually win there, and again, this sounds like, yeah, duh, like no crap, Dan. They've, they haven't won there since 2002. I'm never going to pick us to win in Pittsburgh until they actually do it. I had Pittsburgh plus two and two point five. I thought that was a pretty safe bet. It was. Yeah, I did not. It's probably probably the reason why I'm so pissed off right now. That was one of the few games I actually got right in weeks one and two. We'll get to that in a little bit. Anyway, but, uh, but not to dwell too much on the negative. But that was two weeks ago now, so we're not going to dwell on that. Week one, obviously, like you said, you you kind of you kind of were following along. Um, you know the Bengals. The Bengals are not right because Joe Burrow's not right. It, it's clear. And if you watched last night's game, he should not even be playing right now. He can't move. He can't plant. He is bad right now. The only reason why that they won last night is because the Rams are even worse. Joe Burrow should not be playing. Now he is playing. So. You got to judge him and the Bengals based on the fact that he's playing. Remember, we did that with Baker Mayfield when he played the uh, 2021 season with a with a uh, you know uh, torn labrum, basically, mm. and nobody nobody made excuses for him there. But yeah, Joe Burrow, I I I, I don't know how he's playing right now. It turns out Jamar Chase was right all along. You remember before the season when Jamar Chase came out and said. I don't think Joe Burrow should be playing until week five. That that sounds like a very sage advice at this it's point. It's turning out to be correct. He's not right. That calf is messed up. Mm-hmm. And that's been bothering him now for six weeks now. And the more, if he continues to play on it, it's not going to get better. I have experience with calf injuries, both from soccer and from distance running. And, yeah, it's, it is probably... The only way that that injury gets better is rest. Yeah, it is. You, you really, cannot you, get that 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 injury. That, like people say, oh, oh, he'll be better in the second half of the season. Not if he keeps playing on it. No, you you have to have a period of at least two weeks where you're not doing any running or striding or yeah. anything. Yeah, I mean, so maybe he maybe you when just have I don't to. I don't know when the Bengals bye week is, but maybe once they get to their bye week, maybe he's able to do that. But th- I mean. I don't know, man. You know, the Bengals started 0-2 last year and then turned it on. I don't know if they're – now, again, they, they, now again, they won last night, so, and, it, you know, they're not 0-3. If they were 0-3, it would be turn out the lights, the party's over. But, um, and yeah, he's not right. The parallel here is Aaron Rodgers because Aaron Rodgers hurt his calf in training camp, and yeah, he came back for week one, and he ended up – destroying his Achilles basically yeah. and that's that's basically if you remember that's basically what happened to Kevin Durant too yeah in the NBA finals in 2019 because his calf was not right yeah. and then he came back too early and you know he yeah that's the thing off of his Achilles. Aaron Rodgers so, Aaron Rodgers thing I think was was a little bit more of a fluke but yeah it's definitely definitely a contributing fa- I mean Aaron Rodgers Achilles popped because he had a 300 pound uh lineman 
on his back and he was trying to lift off of his off of his uh you know he was trying to basically trying to keep himself up and he ended up you know putting too much stress on that lower leg and it just popped but yeah i mean that could have happened regardless that could have sure yeah but there is history of you know calf there, and achilles yeah. problems go hand in hand you are absolutely right and i mean listen i, know, I, I don't i don't good. yeah you never root for injuries at all but that's that's got to yeah. be something that you have in the back of your mind with uh with burrow especially like you said because we just saw it with rogers a couple weeks ago yeah um, so that's interesting. I guess we're kind of doing it around the AFC North here. Uh, how about the Ravens uh, blowing that game against uh, the Colts on Sunday? Well, I, you probably didn't I don't see know anything. What the ma- I don't know what to make of this one. Um, some are putting this forth as a big upset, and I guess it kind of is. But Indy's one of those, again, I keep saying this anytime I discuss the Colts, you just never know what you're going to get from them from week yeah. to week. You just, True. you know, some weeks they come out, they play great. Other teams, other weeks, they don't even look like they belong in the NFL. Yeah. Like, so, and my thing with Baltimore is, I think they're okay, but I don't think they're all that, quite yeah. frankly. I picked them to finish last in the AFC North. Yeah, you've been, you've been down I'm, on them. I'm, st- I'm sticking season. to that, to be honest. Well, we're going to find out on Sunday because this is an enormous game on Sunday. Yes, it is. It most definitely is. Uh, first place, well, at least a share of first place on the line. Depends on what Pittsburgh does. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. It, wh- what exactly? I, think, I guess the I, question is now, after the, seeing the first three weeks, you got Pittsburgh, Baltimore, and Cleveland all two and one. You've got Cincinnati one and two. Interestingly, Cincinnati started 0-2 for the second straight year. Despite an 0-2 start last year, Cincinnati still made the AFC Championship game and won the division. Pittsburgh plays the freaking Texans this week. So and the Texans actually had a pretty nice win this past week. winning. They did. They did. Which, and C.J. Stroud looks really good. I don't know if that means the Texans are stock up or if the Jaguars it are is at, not as good as we thought they were. It is at Houston. So, But, but it, be that as it may, who do you think our biggest threat is? In the within, AFC North? Within the division. Is it Cincinnati still? Is it, it maybe Baltimore? Or maybe is it even just Pittsburgh? Yeah, it's not you know? Pittsburgh. Um, I don't know. I'm starting to lean toward the Steelers, believe it or not. Um, The only reason why it wouldn't be Cincinnati is if that, that, that calf injury just hinders Joe Burrow the entire season. My opinion. But the Bengals certainly have the most talent, especially but in offense. But when you talk about when you talk about biggest threat, the Bengals don't beat the Browns. So if it is Cincinnati, I'm feeling really good about the Browns winning the division. Browns have a great track record against the Bengals too. Yeah, head to head, which which is something we can't say about Baltimore and Kevin Pittsburgh. Stefanski is six and one against the Cincinnati Bengals. That's amazing. Yeah. Well, that tells you what his record is against the other two teams in the division. It's not great. No, it's not also, very good. Also, another interesting fact: the Browns are eighteen and nine at home under Kevin Stefanski. I was just gonna say, I don't think Pittsburgh and Baltimore have necessarily done well here. No, it's just in we the can't, Stefanski yeah, era, we, we, can't can, we can't win at their place. Yeah, agreed. Um, in fact, I don't think Stefanski's lost to Pittsburgh at home. Has he lost to Baltimore at home? He's lost once to Pittsburgh. Well, I don't know about because the, we got beat by Pittsburgh on Halloween in twenty twenty one. But um, we did. Yes, Baker Mayfield sucked that day. We only scored ten points. We got beat. 
That was at home. Yes. Why do I not remember that game? Yeah, that dropped us to like three and five. That was a very sour day. Hmm. Uh, but be that as may, Baltimore, I don't think has. Well, no. 2020, Baltimore did beat us here. That was the Lamar Jackson poop game. <laughs> <laughs> Allegedly. <laughs> yeah. So both the, poop, the, the Steelers game. and the Ravens are one and two here in the Stefanski era. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So I I don't. I, that's a good question. I don't know. Here's what I do know. And obviously, you you haven't you didn't get a chance to watch the Pittsburgh game. You didn't get a chance to watch the game on Sunday. Um, and you followed along the Cincinnati game. The Titans are not very good. Period. They're, they're not. But. I do think the Browns are the best team in this division. Through three you games. You could certainly make the case. I mean, they, they really ought to be three and out. They have the best. The, now, now, I'm not saying one of. They, they, beat have, the, they beat themselves in week two. They have the best defense in the NFL. Undisputed. They're, they're first in, like, every category. Points allowed, yards allowed, Listen touchdowns to this allowed. Listen to this stat. The NFL average for teams rushing the ball before contact is 94 yards. Per game. Per game. Okay. You know what the Browns are right now? Like 25. Negative 36. Negative 36. So on average, they're hitting running backs in the backfield. In the backfield. Almost every play. Wow. (sighs) Yeah. And that's playing against Joe Mixon. Uh, Najee Harris stinks. And Derrick Henry. Derrick Henry probably had his worst game of his NFL career on Sunday. I don't even think he had 10 yards. Titans offensive line was not doing anything. No, but I mean, nobody. <laughs> but here's the thing. Like, not, not for Tannehill or for Henry. <laughs> here's the thing, though. Like, like we, we say things like, yeah, oh, okay, yeah, the Titans suck. It's because of what the Browns are doing. The Browns are making everybody look bad. The only touchdown the Browns have given up this season through three games is one busted uh, coverage to George Pickens against Pittsburgh. Other than that, uh, we haven't allowed any any of the three teams we've uh, got uh, that we've played to get inside the red zone. Hmm. Actually, that's not true. Tennessee did it one time. It was because of a fumble deep in our own territory. And you know what's interesting? The defense then pushed them out of the red zone. Yeah, they were kicking from outside the 20 for the, on the field goal attempt. Yeah. This defense is absurd. Absurd. The only defense that, that – there, there are two There are two teams, and, I, and funny, they're the two – they're. I don't know if anybody else is, but they're the two teams that are three and zero that you could even say come close defensively to the Browns, and that's the Eagles and the 49ers. I was gonna say the 49ers definitely do. Yeah, the Eagles. The Eagles too. I mean, yeah. it, the Eagles. The Eagles are pretty decimated at in their secondary as far as injuries go, but their defensive line is absurd, just like the Browns is. Miles Garrett had three and a half sacks. The yesterday. Eagles definitely did a number on Baker Mayfield and the Bucks last night. 
Yeah. That, that was a, that was another cash for me. Yep. Cha-ching. Yep. Uh, that, that, that game actually helped me hit a parlay. So cha-ching for me as well. Oh, nice. Um, so anyway, I just pulled up the updated power rankings from ESPN. Uh, this whole AFC North debate, they have the Ravens as the highest team right now in seventh, despite losing to Indianapolis on Sunday. They've got the Browns ninth. They have the Steelers eleventh, and they've got the Bengals eighteenth. Yeah. So it seems like I don't know that they're really leaning into what teams have done and not so much on their reputation. It would appear, which is I don't have any issue with that, because um, I mean because for them to rank the Bengals last when they're only a game behind seems a little rash, but you know maybe that's what the, they're thinking the same way we are that. Burrow's not right, thing about, well, here, they're going to be struggling. Well, here's the thing about the Bengals is they're 0-2 in the division already. That does hurt. Loss of the Browns and they lost to the, the Ravens. That, yeah, that yeah. that does make it a little harder to climb out of the early hole. Now, again, they did it last year. They can do it again. but True. You know, True. losing division games doesn't help because it means that you're losing tiebreakers most likely. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And then – you know, we haven't even mentioned his name yet, but uh, I thought Deshaun Watson played his best game as a Brown on Sunday. Without a doubt. I mean. Without a doubt. The only thing he did wrong was that was that weird, stupid-ass pass back to Elijah Moore that he tried to do that was like a – he was he was about to get sacked. He, he he's, uh, rolled out to the right. He was about to get sacked, and as his body got turned around, he saw Elijah Moore, like, in the backfield, and he just, like, chucked it at him. <laughs> I was like – Oh my God! What are you doing? <laughs> Thankfully, Elijah Moore fell on it because the ball didn't even get to Elijah Moore; just like kind of skipped to him. And I'm like, he passed it backwards. That's a fumble. Please pick up the ball. Yep. Thank God he picked it up. And you know what's funny? The Browns actually scored on that drive. Yeah. So it's even more significant that they didn't lose the ball there. Yeah. That was their first touchdown of the game. Was them score? They scored on that drive. So uh, I thought he was. Uh, I listen. He was objectively horrific in Pittsburgh, and again, I'm convinced that that building is the Bermuda Triangle for the Browns. For any Browns quarterback, I know we beat them in the playoffs. There weren't any fans there. It's a lot different when you got seventy thousand toothless, uh, inbred, uh, you know, married cousins uh, screaming, you know, along to renegade at you, but. You know, it's a little bit different when nobody's there. So while I don't take anything away from that playoff win, when we're talking about the Browns actually going there and playing, it's like a different – it's almost like they weren't even playing in Pittsburgh in that playoff game. But it's the Bermuda Triangle. Now, Deshaun Watson wasn't great week one. I thought he was okay. Obviously, he was good enough to get the win because, you know, our defense is playing out of our mind. Uh, but he was objectively great on Sunday. Um, he was 27 of 33 throwing the ball for 290 yards, two touchdowns. Would have been over 300 yards if it wasn't for that that weird pass back to Elijah Moore thing that almost, you know, was Or a, perhaps was a also for that pass to Amari Cooper that should have been a touchdown. But oh, they him out God, of bounds, I forgot about which, how I lost my, Now listen. Which, had I lost my fantasy game this week, I would have absolutely just thrown things. <laughs> now listen, we won the game 27-3, to so 
uh, it didn't end up mattering. But how many times does a play like that happen and the Browns end up like losing a game by three? Oh. All the time in the last two decades. How, yeah. All the time. It wasn't even close. No. And how, if you are a ref, even if you thought that was close, let the play go and then give Tennessee. You can, you can t- always review it later. You know, after give, the Tennessee play is done. A chan- give Tennessee a chance because you know that they have people looking at every play. So if they thought that he if, if they thought that he had stepped out of bounds, they'd have thrown the red challenge flag and they would have gotten the challenge. But blowing your whistle and ca- calling that play dead, Amari Cooper was going to score. He had he had the safety to beat and and he was putting moves on him, turning the safety around and he was going to score on that play. Yep. But because of the rule, and it's a good rule because once the whistle blows, players stop playing. You can't just assume that he was going to score. Although I I fully believe Amari was going to score there. But you can't just like say, oh well, inadvertent whistle. Sorry, uh, we'll count the touchdown because that's that's probably what would have happened. You can't assume that as an official. Yep. So them blowing that whistle, oh my god, was unbelievable. Now, thankfully, Amari, you know, Amari Cooper ended up getting his touchdown later in the game on a on a beautiful play action uh, double move deep ball uh, that oh, salted man. the game away. For, you know, I love going deep on fourth and one. Honestly, yeah. it, it's a very ballsy decision, but. The defense is not in any way prepared for that. They've was that got, fourth and got, one? Yes. Oh, was it? I they, don't even remember. They have it because they, they're bringing all their personnel up. They're expecting run up the middle or sneak or something yep. like that, and play action double move on the outside. <laughs> you give them play action, all of a sudden they're like, "Oh God, no!" <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it was interesting. Uh, it was it was cool to see Kareem Hunt back out there. Obviously, the Browns re-signed Kareem Hunt after Nick Chubb's injury. Were, did you actually see video or picture of the Nick Chubb injury? No, and I don't care to. Oh, yeah, I, I saw it, and I wish I hadn't. What's interesting, what has come out, apparently he only tore his MCL. That's pretty amazing considering everything I've heard about it. Yeah, that's the knee that he injured in college in 2015 at Georgia. Mm. What's interesting is uh, when that happened, he tore every ligament in his in his, in that knee except the ACL, and everybody just assumed that the ACL was gone. And that, I mean, you have that looked like a Willis. That, remember the Willis McGahee injury against uh-huh. Ohio State? Yeah, it looked like that except like to the side. <sighs> and I thought, you know. I thought, and rightfully so, people were talking about, you know, his career is probably over. Looking at that. And then they're, and then they're, once, yeah. yeah. And then they're saying his ACL is intact. It's stretched, but it's intact. And it's just his MCL that he that he tore, that, he's, that he needs surgery on. That's crazy that he only did that. So now we're, we were talking about, oh, my gosh, like Nick's, Nick Chubb's career could be over. And at the at best, you're probably looking. You were probably looking at him missing a, a decent chunk of the beginning of next year. Now, if it's just the MCL, he's probably back during training camp next year. Yeah, you know that's like a four to six month injury. So, boy, did we dodge a bullet there? 
and just from everything I have seen on social media and elsewhere, nobody trains like Nick Chubb does. Right. This guy is in in the weight room doing squats at like some crazy, ridiculous 700, 750 pounds. Crazy. You know, just, you know, he's just an animal. And it just goes to show you that all that preparation, all that conditioning can really pay off in a situation like this. Because I feel like if just any other normal player, it probably would have been far worse. Yeah. 100%. Um, so that that's kind of how we've gotten to two and one with the Browns here. Uh, as I said before, just an absolutely titanic, enormous game coming up on Sunday. Massive. Now, we said before the season started that at minimum the Browns needed to be two and two. Well, they're there. They cannot be worse than two and two at the bye. But I'll tell you what: if you're two and two and you're one and two in the division going to the bye after the way we lost that Steelers game. I'm not going to feel great. It's not as good considering two things. One, considering that right after the bye, you got to play the 49ers, which are one of the top two or three best teams in the league. Yep. And you'll have also lost a division game at home. Yep. Which means that you're going to have to make at least one up on the road at some point. And yep. that has been where the Browns have struggled. Yep. So, you know, this, this game, it, it's like you said. This game is massive. This massive. really is massive. the kind of game it feels like if you're going to be a playoff team. It's a swing game in the season. It really I, – I predict – full disclosure, I'm not to toot my own horn here because I've gotten a lot of games wrong involving teams or the other teams in the league, but Browns, every game straight up and against the spread I've got right so far. And I had them at 3-1 and one after the first four games. That felt a little bit optimistic, but I was like, no. It's right there. No. The Browns have a good record against the Bengals, so I feel good about that game. The Titans aren't very good. I feel good about that game. And I had the Ravens. Maybe this was the slight hard overhead one out of the four where I said, you know what, the Ravens seem to be stocked down for me. They don't They don't have a good record recently playing in Cleveland. So I'm like, okay, I think we can get this one. And I do think we will get this one, yeah. actually. I don't think it'll be an outright blowout like the Bengals or Titans game was, but you know, I could I could see this being a seven ten point win, something like that. I could easily see that. Browns are favored minus two and a half right now. Um, yeah. We're not going to give our official picks for this week yet because these lines are subject to to move. Um, but yeah, just going around the the AFC North here for uh, for week four. Browns are favored minus two and a half over the Ravens. Uh, Steelers are favored by three at Houston. And the Bengals are traveling to the team we just demolished, uh, Tennessee. They are two-and-a-half-point favorites. So all games involving the AFC North are within a field goal. I'm I'm honestly surprised by the Browns' line, that it's not more in the Browns' favor, especially considering the Ravens got beat yeah. at home by Indy last week. Yeah. I would expect this line to to be honestly. I should punch this line right now because if it's under a field goal, there's no reason for me not to pick the Browns. Because like I could see, easily see this line being like four or five by kickoff. Yeah, it, see, it seems like it seems like there's no way that this line trends towards the Ravens. It's either going to stay. <laughs> no way. Yeah, it's either going to stay or it's going to go more towards the Browns. I would think. Yeah. 
Because I think a lot of people are thinking like you are, and I, I, I tend to agree, and I think there, there's going to be a lot of money pouring in on the Browns. Yeah, I would, I would agree with that. I would also, ex- likewise, I would expect a lot of money to come in on Pittsburgh this week. I, I just, Houston, I'd like to believe it, but this last week against Jacksonville, that, that has a little bit of a feel of blind squirrel finding a nut. Listen, so, Jordan Gonzalez, I, shout out. I am a giant Texans fan this week. Yeah, I'd love to see it, but I don't know. Just betting against the Steelers just doesn't seem to pay. I mean, hell, I, I took the Raiders on Sunday. That was my only loss this past oh. week. So it's your only loss this past week, too. Yep. So, yeah. It's four and one this past week, uh, which was good because I was only three and seven through the first two weeks. Yeah, and I didn't. I forgot to make picks last week. So, I mean, here and you. I mean, yeah, I yeah, I was so despondent. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I don't. Well, no, I made I made picks after the Steelers game, but going into Steelers week, I guess I was so focused on on the Steelers game, I just forgot. Um. Yeah. So, what were the records? I think you you said you were seven and eight. I'm six and four. Seven and eight. You are six and four. Yeah, so far. Um, so that's where we stand right now. I'm just looking at the at a lot of the games this week. I, this looks like a pretty tough week to handicap, to be honest. Yeah, um, a lot, a lot of uh, couple point spreads. Yeah, you got there, and, are... and then even some of uh, so like Arizona plays at San Fran. That's the the highest spread of the week. It's fourteen. Arizona won last week. Beat the Cowboys. Dallas. Yeah. And there's still a two-touchdown underdog, the 49ers. So it, I mean, it is in San Fran. I mean, I could – San Fran's firing on all cylinders. They could certainly cover that. But, like, yeah. do you really want to touch a 14-point line? I mean, that's a lot. Um, Kansas City – like, I, I feel more confident about the Chiefs. They, they're, only, they're favored by 9.5 in the Meadowlands against the Jets. The Jets – Look like the worst team in football. I God, so that's the Sunday night game. I am, oh my God. I am wondering because they were probably billing that as Mahomes versus Rodgers. Oh, well, of course. But now Rodgers isn't there. I'm really wondering, based on week two and week three. So Buffalo has won the last two weeks. Yeah. The Jets have lost the last two weeks. The Bills mm-hmm. and the Jets are pretty much who we thought they were. I mean, the Jets got a little bit unlucky with Rodgers, but you know, I didn't think they were going to be great even with him. I'm really left wondering, how in the F did the Bills cough up a 10-point lead in the fourth quarter in week one with Zach Wilson playing a quarterback for the Jets? Because Josh Allen was turning the That's ball gotta over. That's got to be the most bizarre. I was When that bet did not cash for me, I was like, okay, in my opinion, something in really my opinion, bizarre must have happened. Like, how is that even? In my opinion, it's very similar to the, to the Browns losing in Pittsburgh with Kenny Pickett as the Steelers' quarterback. But, yeah, well, I mean, if you watch that game, Josh Allen was just turning the ball over left and right, threw three picks, and he fumbled. I mean, that's how you do that, it. That, yeah, you're right. I mean, you can't four turnovers. I mean, how many times do teams in the NFL win with four plus turnovers? Not often. The Browns didn't. <laughs> Last week or yeah, to, uh, last Monday night we were minus two in turnovers in week one, to my understanding. But it didn't matter because the Bengals couldn't do diddly poo on offense. Yeah, and well, uh, I even think we were minus one this week. The Browns are winning. This is how good the defense is. They're they're winning and they're dominating while losing the turnover battle. I don't think we turned t- Tennessee over on Sunday, and we had the one fumble. 
That is fascinating that the Browns' defense is not doing it by way of takeaways. Yeah, no, they're just killing teams they're in the just trenches. Straight up, just just not letting bullying them, teams. Just not letting them score. Just not letting them get yards. That's, the corners are covering, and the defensive line is eating. And because of the way the defensive line is playing, the linebackers are playing really well. The Browns don't have very many, you know, heralded names at linebacker. But they're playing really well. JOK is playing fantastic right now. And he's your Lamar Jackson spy. So I, I, I feel very confident going into that game against Baltimore that uh, the Browns are going to have not an easy time, but they're going to be well-prepared well and well-equipped to slow down Lamar. Obviously, we know with Baltimore, you slow down Lamar, you basically you slow their offense down to a screeching halt. I mean, they are so Lamar-centric, it's not even funny. I mean, that just goes to show what their win-loss record without him has been over the last few years. Yeah. He's been out of the lineup. They just don't win. They don't win. Period. One of the things I really like about the Browns' defense right now, not only are they playing well, they're playing with swagger. Yes. One of the few— And shout-out to Jim Schwartz on that, too, because Jim Schwartz, he's talked about it. He says— He's like, I tell—he says he tells his guys all the time, he's like, when you make a big play, celebrate. Like, if I don't see you celebrating, that's me basically saying you're loafing. They're strong. They're confident. They're playing with passion. Yeah. I I mean, really, it's they're feeling themselves is what the oh, by, people oh, would say. Oh, and by the yeah. way, their defensive coordinator from last year blew a 17-0 lead in the fourth quarter on Sunday. <laughs> Joe Woods, D coordinator of the Saints. They were up 17-0 on Green Bay and lost 18-17. <laughs> Yeah, you were beating Jordan Love seventeen nothing in the fourth quarter, and you lost eighteen seventeen. I actually should say thank you because that was the first game uh, on my parlay that I hit. Was I had Green Bay? Uh, it was an alternate spread. I had them plus three, but when I, when I saw that they were down seventeen nothing, I'm like, oh well, first leg of the first leg of the parlay already killed it. Thanks a lot. Mm-hmm. But no. I forgot to realize that Joe Woods is the defensive coordinator for the Saints. The Saints were not marching in on Sunday. So, who's the worst team in the league right now? Oh, boy. There's a consensus that it's one of two teams. They actually happen to be playing each other in Week 4. That's the Denver Broncos and the Chicago Bears. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to go against that. I mean, I would say that— How in the hell— do you give up 70 points? That's like Ohio State playing a Mac school. And not only that, you're playing on the road the next week, and Vegas is making you the favorite? That's how bad Chicago is. Oh, my God. That is how bad Chicago is. Oh, my. I mean, good God, Chicago is so bad. I mean, give me the Bears plus three and a half right now. Like, how— I. Yeah, like, I, really? I like, would have to agree. I eventually, eventually, Justin Fields has got to snap out of this. You I mean, think. if they don't, if, hey, if if it doesn't happen, then this is the last time I'm taking the Bears this season because hey. they already they already burned me in Week One. Hey, Bronco, Broncos country, let's ride. <laughs> let's ride all the way to the incinerator. Good God, their season's already done. If I was Miami's kicker, I would have just intentionally missed the last extra point just so they could finish on 69. 
Well, they actually they had a. Uh, I'm actually shocked they didn't kick the field goal at the end to try and tie the record uh, for 73 points. Yeah, why did they not? It just like they didn't want to humiliate Denver anymore. Right. It's like oh, it's like okay, oh yeah, we didn't, we didn't want to romp the score, dude. You scored 70. Right. And again, I don't blame the Dolphins. Like they they had their backups in and they were still scoring. Like what do you want them to do? Yeah, they had 70 with like eight minutes left in the game. Yeah. What do you they? want them to do? Kneel? Like yeah. grow a set, Broncos. Like have some freaking pride. My God. Right. I I actually I actually thought there was a non-zero chance that Sean Payton got, would get fired after that. <laughs> they just wouldn't even let him back on the – or at least the D coordinator. Yeah. That'd be two years in a row that, that they would Vance have – Joseph? Uh, I don't know. That's oh. a good question. That would be two years in a row the Broncos didn't let a first-year head coach finish a season. That's <laughs> how bad that organization's been over the last several years, ever since Peyton Manning left. I mean, I guess that's that's another debate. Who Who's the worst organization right now, the Broncos or the Bears? <laughs> oh, it's got to be the Bears. I mean, the Broncos have at least won a – they've at least won a Super Bowl in the last 10 years. Yeah, true. But – just a reminder that the Bears fired Lovey Smith after a ten and six season. I don't think they've ever had as good a year as well, they've had one year that was better than that since. That was the year that they finished twelve and four, won the NFC North, and the season ended against the Eagles on the Cody Parkey double doink. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so But wow. Um should we give our official predictions for the Browns game on Sunday? Uh, yeah, I already, already teased mine, but uh, I think the Browns' defense, they don't. I don't think they'll keep Lamar Jackson and the Ravens out of the end zone in this game, but I, I, don't, I think the Ravens will struggle to get loose in this game. They didn't, actually, they didn't have much of a performance last week against Indy anyway, and Indy's defense isn't that great. So I don't know that Watson will play as well as he did this past week. I'm a little concerned about the Browns' run game. Without Nick Chubb, they didn't really, you know, no, showcase didn't. it this past week. But um, I do think that the Browns will take care of business. I'm going to say Browns 21, Ravens 10. I was actually the score that I had in my mind too. I, I'm, I'm so confident right now with this defense that if if Deshaun plays like he did on Sunday, I don't I don't know that there's any way that the Ravens stay within two touchdowns of the Browns. I tend to agree with you that I, I don't, maybe the, maybe we don't keep the Ravens out of the end zone uh, completely, uh, but I, if the Browns defense is plays like they have the first three weeks. I don't see the, the Ravens scoring more than one touchdown. Yeah. I don't either. I can't see it. Um, you know, maybe with Justin Tucker, maybe they get a couple field goals. So I'm going to go 24, 13 Browns. All right. It's just their their defense is just playing so well that like their their margin for error on offense has become so massive because of how well they're playing on defense. You know, usually the Browns are making a mistake or two on offense, and you're like, oh well, this game's over because you know we couldn't you know for years we couldn't hold anybody out of the end zone. Yeah. So it's like I just go back to the fact that the Browns have lost the turnover battle in every single game, and their defense has still dominated. Turnovers is somewhat of a cyclical thing, too. Yeah. You know. So that's the thing. You know, maybe the Browns get a couple of their own turnovers. I mean, if the that's the thing. Like, if the Browns start turning other – if the Browns start turning other teams over, this team this team can beat anybody by multiple scores. Even 
even the like even the 49ers because that game teams. that game's at home. We're yeah. not going. You know, San Francisco's flying all the way across the country for that game for a one o'clock kick. Yeah, I mean they did that for Pittsburgh week one. Yeah, they're, they're a but. good team; they can deal with that. But I mean, still, when you mess up with teams' clock, it it doesn't help them. Yeah. So, but that was week. I don't. I don't know. I would like to know. I wonder when San Francisco flew out to Pittsburgh. That was week one. You think maybe, maybe they might have flown out there a couple days earlier. They could have just to deal with the jet lag. I don't know if you're allowed to do that in the NFL. If there's some sort of rule about they, that, they could have taken off right after Friday's practice. Yeah, maybe. And spent all of Saturday there. Yeah. Um. So yeah, interesting. I we we kind of have the same uh, mindset about the game. I just, um, yeah. I mean, scores are basically identical, but I just, I just, I, I see the Browns' defense continuing to play um, that well, and I think Deshaun found something on sun, this past Sunday, and I think he's like you said, maybe he doesn't play. He, I mean, he he almost played a flawless game on Sunday. Probably doesn't do that now. I, I Baltimore's defense is 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 a little bit better than Tennessee's. Um, Tennessee's not a slouch defense by any means, but uh, Baltimore's probably better. They they have better linebacker play, obviously, with Roquan Smith and Patrick Queen. Uh, but I still, I you know, I think I think he found something on Sunday, and if he continues to get better and better, I mean, not not to be not to be overly confident, but if Deshaun continues to play better and better, there's not a game on this schedule that the Browns can't win. Yeah, if you presume the defense continues to play the way they are. Yeah. Yeah, I, which I do think, I don't know if three games is enough of a sample size yet for me to feel that way. But, but it's trending that way. Can, it certainly is trending that way, and it's hard to imagine the defense regressing to anywhere near the point where they were in the middle part of last year yeah. when they were giving up 30 and 40 points to the Bills and the Dolphins. And you, know, and you, like still, you, still, you still need the eye test with the Browns defense. You're just going on, like, stats and what you've seen. Right. You haven't been able to actually watch. Wait until no. you watch this Browns defense. This defensive line is playing at a level. Uh, it's like, you remember when the, the those Giants defensive lines when they were winning their Super Bowls? Yeah. Justin Tuck. Uh, Justin OCU Tuck. Minora. OCU Minora. Um, I can't remember. Michael Strahan. Michael Strahan, those kind of – this is how this Browns uh, defensive line is playing. I mean, it, Miles had three and a half sacks um, Sunday. His backup was getting sacks. Like, it's just crazy. Nobody, Nobody's Pro- been able to run the ball on the Browns. Nobody's been able to and, – and, and the biggest thing about the Browns is they're, they're, they're back to playing man – Man coverage, which I know we talked about at nauseum last year. We have man-centric cornerbacks, and Joe Woods is playing zone almost exclusively. We're back to playing man. We're only having to rush four. The Browns are not having to blitz at all to get pressure. And the defense is playing out of their mind. I cannot speak highly enough of the Browns. They're big-time players on defense. Grant Delpit is looking like he is going that's that's the thing Grant Delpit is playing like one of the best safeties in football over the first 3 games and he's in a contract year which means he's hungry yeah 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 
The Browns haven't had a player that they've had to slap the franchise tag on in a long time. If they can't get a long-term contract uh, figured out with him during the season, that's going to be the guy. Hmm. They're going to have to end up franchising him. He's playing. He's playing that well. It's a. It, it's insane. Wow. Um, so yeah, I just wait until Sunday when you're actually able to see this defense. I mean, it's. I I cannot. I cannot say enough about how they've played over the first three games. But this will be a bigger test. Uh, so probably be the the biggest test of uh, of the season so far. Um, because uh, you know, Cincinnati Joe Burrow's just not right. So so we'll see what happens. But I, I'm I'm very I'm very confident in uh, in this Browns team right now. So anyway. Turning our attention to the Deerfield gridiron here. Uh, ah. We are through three weeks of the season, and we've got a surprise team on top of the league, folks. Yeah, and I have to face him this week. I'm talking about the Mid-Park Meteors. Yeah. Who put on an absolute show this week against he almost put up 200 the Hot points. Butter McBungus. 186 points, folks. Yeah. Devontae Adams leading the way with 42. The Buffalo D... 32 points. Yeah, I think they had like five interceptions. Oh, my goodness gracious. They had five interceptions, and they had at least one touchdown. And then after that, it was just like kind of consistent across the board. Deshaun Watson, 21. Jerome Ford, 19. Stephon Diggs, 19. Yeah, how about that? Uh, Jerome Pacheco, Ford, 16. Jerome Ford had more fantasy points than he did have rushing yards because he scored two touchdowns. <laughs> he had 18 rushing yards, but he scored. He, he, had, a, he had a touchdown wow. rushing and a touchdown receiving. You know, interesting thing league-wide here, it started out similar to last year where I had I had picked the teams I thought were good and the teams I thought were bad, and at the first two or three weeks, all the teams that were bad started quickly and all the teams that were I thought were good started slowly. Mm-hmm. But by the end of the season, it reversed. Yeah. And the same phenomenon has started again here because I had your brother, Mike, as the best team in the league, and he's 0-3. Yeah. I had your dad as one of the worst and he's three and oh. Yeah. So go figure that. Speaking of Mike, Mike was this week's hard luck loser. He had hundred and forty one points against me, but I had one fifty one. Uh-huh. You know, he ended up going down despite a twenty six point night from Jamar Chase, twenty two points from Zach Moss. Uh Jalen Hurts gave him twenty. But uh for me, Kenneth Walker had 31. He led the way. Amari Cooper had 25. Travis Kelsey added 20. James Conner uh, added 20 as well. So Justin Fields, I, I guess I just need to put him on the bench, I guess. It's unfortunate Travis Kelsey couldn't get you 22 because he'd be feeling 22. He was not feeling 22, I guess. Hey-o. Hey-o. Why everybody's making such a big d- I don't know. Oh, it's an absolute phenomenon. Yeah. It is a phenomenon. Is it any? I didn't even know. Like the, the Chiefs are a desirable franchise, and like they're a Super Bowl champion. Like they're a team that already are in the limelight. It's do we really need them to be even more in the limelight than they already are? Well, you know. Well, it's because they are it's, now. Well, yeah, it's 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 bringing all of Taylor Swift's fans who don't, don't don't normally give a crap about football, who are now are the you know are invested in the Kansas City Chiefs almost as much as they are the the uh, Taylor Swift herself. Maybe she felt like she had to jump ship. I'm assuming she, if you supported any teams, it'd probably be the Titans. But I think know, she's they... actually an Eagles fan. Well, that would make sense because she was born and grew up most of her 
uh, younger years in Wyoming, Pennsylvania, which yeah. is not far outside Philly. Yeah. So go figure. I mean, well, hell, if we have a rematch of Super Bowl 57, that might be awkward. Yeah, well, uh, we'll we'll see if they're still dating by that point. Yeah, the this this kind of reeks of a you a know fling. a little fling phase and yeah. maybe a song later about it. I don't probably. Know. <laughs> but anyhow, getting back into fantasy here, uh, the, the remainder of the games this week, uh, Casey was bad as he often is. He got beat up by Billy one thirty nine to ninety nine. Uh, Billy getting thirty three from Tyreek Hill, leading, and then M Gay. The kicker for Indianapolis Matt gave him K. 24. That's a kicker from the you know, Colts. <sighs> Second high scorer on the team. It would, tell you what, whenever you get 20, 20 plus hit, out of the kicker, I think he hit. <laughs> that uh, helps. I think he hit four four field goal or uh, yeah four field goals of over fifty yards. Billy had thirty seven points combined from his kicker and his defense. It's almost impossible to lose in fantasy when you have an output from your defense and special teams like yeah. that. Um, the toilet bowl game of this week was between Anthony and I'm sorry, Smith Jackson. That's, is that Steigerwald? Yeah. Yeah. It's a play on Jackson, it was Smith, a and Jigba. 106 to 101, Anthony squeaked by with a victory. Justin Jefferson and Lamar Jackson gave him more than half of his total points. Uh, it was just enough to get by. Uh, Matthew's team ended up losing to Jason. He, uh, Loses this one, 122 to 111. Jason got 21 from Josh Allen, but the big story for him, Raheem Moster, 45. Yep. He I was mean, part of that uh he was part of that that Miami uh Denver beatdown. Talk about a bailout there. He I mean he aside from Allen, he didn't have anyone else over sixteen, so he pretty much saved the day there. Uh, then we come to your team. Your team had a very solid week, 143 points for Chet Stedman's hot ice. Tua Tagovailoa with 31. Keenan Allen with 45. Keenan Allen had a passing touchdown in that game. 18 receptions and a passing touchdown? Yeah. Holy moly. Yeah. And uh, uh, Keenan Allen's work work rate is going to go up because uh, Mike Williams tore his ACL in that game. So. Oh, my goodness. Well, you are in good shape at both of WR1 and QB1. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Tua Tagovailoa, has got, he started the season just even better than he started last year. Week four was when he had the issue with the concussion the first time. God, I hope that he stays healthy this time. Yeah. I got to tell you, my Super Bowl prediction that I made a few weeks ago is looking – I mean, it's a long way until we get to the playoffs, but Miami versus Philadelphia is looking like a very – eminently possible Super Bowl right now. If Tua stays healthy. Yeah. It's the question. Yeah, so you were up against Doug, I believe, and that was a, that was a 143-98 to beatdown yep. for you. And then, of course, as I mentioned before, Rich, 186 points. That That's a contender for high score of the season. I think there was one week where somebody was over 200 last year. Yeah. But uh, hey, you you were over 150. I was I was like I was in the 140s. Neither of us came close to the high score of the week. Rats. <laughs> <laughs> yep. The was it the, the twenty dollar bonus or whatever that? Oh, uh, ten dollar. Yeah. Ten dollar bonus. Yeah. yeah. But I needed to get off the Schneid. I was 0 and 2. I'm now 1 and 2. So that's 0 and 2. You can come back from 0 and 3 is much harder to come back from. So it's like in the NFL. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. You know, you look again league wide. Rich is the only 
team that's 3-0 and right now. At the bottom end, Mike and Peter are both 0-3. And, and then you got a whole bunch of other people at 2-1 and one and 1-2. and two. Dan, you are 2-1, and one, of course, defending the Deerfield Cup, which is right next to us right now. So um, looking all good with that. 370 points through the first three weeks. That's, that's pretty good. That's actually... Just barely third highest in the league. Matt has 371. Rich, 431. That's just obscene. He's, he can't possibly continue that, you would think. You wouldn't think so. Uh, bringing up the rear is Mike with just 300 points. And he had 141 of them this week. But he must have had a ridiculously terrible first two weeks. Yeah. Go figure. But that's where we stand there. All right. Well, I think that's going to do it for us on this week's episode of uh, Living Off the Land, episode 271. Good to be back. Uh, thanks for bearing with us uh, with a little bit of an absence there. We will be back on uh, Sunday. Sunday afternoon, we'll be breaking down the Browns versus Ravens game. Yep, we will the either battle be, for first place. We will either be celebratory or we will be very depressed That's depending right. on the outcome of this one. Yeah, exactly. The Ravens are odious and we hate them. Yep, and so. then uh, Browns then go into their bye week, so... Uh, but anyway, um, you may get to watch one game, and then I have to watch. I have to wait another week for Browns <laughs> to play again. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna get to watch one game before the middle of October. Well, hey, after that, you've got uh, what 12, 12 straight weeks. So, all right, um, yeah. So that's gonna do it for us on this episode. Uh, welcome back, Steve. Good to see that you and the family are back uh, from the other side of the world, safe and sound. And uh, yeah. So, uh, you can find us on social media at Stiffs McGee and at Daniel J. Ford. You can follow the show at the LOTL podcast. And uh, we will see you guys on Sunday. So, for Steve, I'm Dan. For Champ, sleeping on the floor. This has been Living Off the Land, and we'll see you guys on Sunday. Go Browns. Bye. Bye.